The scripture reading today is going to be in Exodus chapter 15, page 67, if you have the Black Pew Bible. Exodus 15, 1 through 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he came into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send, you send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people who you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembled, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. If you're visiting with us, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Exodus. We're at chapter 15. The song of Moses, just as we just sang. We might get to sing that again at the end of the service. But um, what a wonderful song from the scriptures. We're looking at Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. Salvation, you know, really demands a response. And how we respond oftentimes is by singing. You know, as Christians, we study truth. We proclaim truth, but we also sing truth. We call our music that we sing, we like, to, we like to call them true songs. If it's not truth, we don't want to sing it. And I appreciate our team every week preparing and, and leading us and singing songs that are biblical. But word ministry happens not just as we read Scripture, as Chris read our teaching text for us, and now we're preaching through this text. Word ministry doesn't just happen then, but it happens as we sing 
as well. And for many of you, it's the favorite part of the service. You love the music. So I wish we could just sing more and preach less. And I understand that. Some of you, you love it. Some of you, maybe not so much. Some I've had some people say, maybe we sing too much. But I think it's, it's a part of what we do. Now, the singing, as Blake said, it doesn't rival the teaching and preaching of the gospel, the teaching and the preaching of the word. And the reason I say that is because when Jesus walked this earth and the apostles walked this earth, when they preached the gospel, they didn't do that by singing, did they? No, they did it by proclaiming and teaching the word. And so that's really, really important. But singing here at Beaver is really important too. And singing in the church is really important because we sing truth. We sing the word. Singing complements the preaching and teaching of the Bible. When God created the world, he used his own words to create everything out of nothing. And when he did that, there was singing that took place. Job 38, 7. When Jesus became flesh, when God took on flesh and became a man, there was singing. You remember Luke chapter 2, verse 14? Do you remember? Glory to God in the highest, right? And on earth, peace on those to whom his favor rests. There was singing when Jesus took on flesh and was born in that Bethlehem city. And singing was an important part of the church, the first century church. Paul, the apostle, tells us he commands actually the church in Colossae and also the church in Ephesus to sing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell with you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18 and 19, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but we, debauchery. Whatever it is, I don't want any of that. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does that look like? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know, for those who don't grow up in Protestant Christian churches, when they come to church and we do a lot of singing, it, it may be a little odd to them. I had a, when I lived in Louisville, my boss was Catholic. He grew up Catholic and he was getting married and I was doing counseling with he and his fiance in, in preparation for their marriage. And after months of doing that, he began to attend a, a Bible teaching Christian church. And he, he says, I really enjoy the preaching, but the music, man, is just weird. It's just odd. And, of course, for me, I have grew up in church all my life, singing the hymns, some of the hymns, Leaning on the Everlasting Alarms. That song is very familiar with me. I've been hearing it since I was in the womb. But for him, the singing was just different. Yeah, it's just kind of different, you know. And the singing he was used to is stuff he listened to on the radio or concerts he would go to. So it was just a little, a little different for him. But we sing, don't we? And we sing to proclaim the truth. We sing to encourage one another and to admonish one another. We sing to remind one another of the truth. We sing to teach. There's a, a, a ministry that um, I want to turn you on to. It's Seeds Family Worship. If you have children, it's wonderful. They put scripture to song, and we use it in our home, and it's wonderful. We use it at church. 
But I, I want to encourage you with that if you have children. We sing to, to unify the church. What do we do when we sing together? It's something that we can do together. It's believers. We come together and we sing together. It's just a, it has a unifying effect as we sing truth together. Now, our text today is, is Exodus chapter 15. And just, if, you're, if you're just joining us, let me catch you up to what's happened. The Hebrews have been in, in Egypt for 400 years. And they came there providentially as Joseph was slow, sold into slavery. Joseph became prince of Egypt. He interpreted some dreams for Pharaoh, which ended up saving many, many lives and resulted in the nation of Egypt becoming the wealthiest in the world. But Jacob and his family end up joining Joseph in Egypt. And 400 years later, we see the Abrahamic covenant coming coming to fruition as those 70 some odd Hebrews turn turn into a million or more. And what's happened is God has just delivered Israel from the Egyptian army. Pharaoh had enslaved them. They had been enslaved, building Pharaoh's cities, being mistreated. They cry to the Lord. The Lord sends them Moses. And then God pours out 10 plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt. After the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh finally relents and allows the Israelites to leave. But he soon changed his mind. The scripture says that God hardened his heart and he again pursued the Israelites. Well, he has just poured out his wrath upon the Egyptian army. Moses, they're there with their backs up against the Red Sea and they see the pursuing army, the Egyptian army come and they're fearful. In fact, let's read that in chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. This is chapter 14, verse 10. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. They were scared to death. They were terrified. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Of course, Moses goes on to tell them, Fear not, the Lord's going to save you. And that is exactly what he did. As Moses raised his hands over the Red Sea, God, what did he do? He parted that sea, and the the Israelites walked through that sea on dry land. Moses again raised his hands over the sea, and as the Egyptian armies pursuing the Israelites, the, the the walls of water crashed down upon the Egyptians, and they were all drowned in the sea. The, the water enveloped the Egyptian army, and they were all drowned. Look at verse 30 of chapter 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. They're all there just washing up on shore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then we have this break in the story. You got a narrative. It's kind of a storytelling, telling the historical account of what happened. All of a sudden, we have this break in chapter 15. It's a song. Somebody said, well, this is kind of out of place. It kind of breaks up the narrative. 
But why is that here? Why are they singing? Well, there's three reasons why the Israelites are singing. Number one, the Israelites are singing because they have experienced salvation from God. They've experienced salvation from God. This, this text can be broken down in verses 1 through 10. Then we're going to look at uh, verses 11 through 13, verses 14 through 18, and then verses 19 through 21 is how these scriptures will be broken down today. But the Israelites have gone through these Passover rites. We sang a, a song about Lord passing over us. Lord, let your judgment pass over us, but don't let your mercy pass over us, right? Well, the Passover, the, the Passover lamb was slain and the blood was put over the door frames. And the Israelites that trusted the Lord and obeyed him, they put the blood over their door frames. And when God passed over the houses of Egypt, he passed over their homes. So he didn't pour out his judgment upon those homes. So they've gone through this Passover rite and now they have been freed and they are leaving Egypt. And they thought their lives were in jeopardy. They thought the Egyptians were going to come take their lives, and they were terribly afraid. But the Lord delivered them from their enemies. They were saved, and then what happened? They're saved, and then they sang to the Lord. The Israelites had a reason to sing. We came home from our first for our first stateside assignment, we just finished our first term in East Asia, and we come home, and we're in Richmond, and there's other missionaries there, and we gather together with these missionaries, and there's a leader over our group, and he says, what I want you to do, you get in these groups, and we're, Jenny and I are, are coupled with a, um, another family from, they'd been in Afghanistan, they'd been there for 10 years doing ministry, and what the leader had us do was I want you to tell your greatest success story about this term and our term was three years the last three years your greatest success story and then your greatest failure or your greatest struggle and so Jen and I are sitting there and we let the Afghan the, the couple that was was in Afghanistan work and go first and they had been there 10 years they hadn't seen a lot of success they hadn't seen converts but during that time they'd really uh, gained the trust of the people there and they shared with us their, their, one of their greatest struggles. One night, they heard a banging on the door, their little um, mud rock house. And it was a, a Muslim friend of theirs that they had, they had ministered to and, and were good friends with. And he, he woke them up and he says, there, it, what, what, essentially what was happening was that the Taliban were coming to his home and he had three kids just like we did at the time. We had three children at the time and he had three teenage daughters. He said, they're coming for your daughters. And this guy, this missionary, he did agricultural work trying to help the, the people there with their, with their corn. So he had a lot of corn around his little house. And so what he did is he took his wife and his three girls and they ran to the cornfields. And they hid in the cornfields all night. And they're sharing this story with Jenny and I. And Jenny and I, was our first term, and we had all the, the expected struggles that a family would have moving to a third world country. 
But they were, they were just mere inconveniences compared to what this family had went through. And so Jenny and I were really glad that we didn't share first and tell about our struggles. We just kind of sit there, no, we're good. We had a great term, you know. Uh, we didn't want to share anything after that. But this happened several times, not just once, but it happened several times where this man took his children that he had brought to this country, and they're trying to do ministry, and he took them and ran into the cornfields and had them hide all night long until the sun came up. This happens several times because he thinks he's fearful for their lives. And I just thought about that as I'm studying this, this text. I just thought about that, 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 that father, that husband, that man, and, and oh, how he wanted that son to come up. And, and what joy and what relief and what um, uh, peace that father had to have when that son came up and he knew for this night that his children were safe. Can you imagine the joy of that father? And could you imagine him having a reason to sing? And, and I'm, I bet he did sing praises to the Lord. It's like a V-Day celebration. In World War II, there were two V-Day celebrations, V-E Day and, and V-J Day, and it's Victory Day. I'm going to sh show a video, and, and, and then we'll continue on. This is after World War II. In Europe, the Germans had surrendered. In America and all across Europe, they're celebrating years and years of bloodshed and struggle. May 8th, 1945, in Great Britain and the United States both, they celebrate victory in Europe as the, the, the German surrendered. They put out flags and banners and parades and they went to the streets in celebration or dancing and singing and having a good time. And August 14th, 1944, was the VJ Day, was when the Japanese uh, officially surrendered, if you remember, on the Missouri if you remember now, the Missouri is in Pearl Harbor, but that's where they surrendered on the, the deck of that, that uh, aircraft carrier. But when they surrendered, there's great celebration. Why? Because for years, they've suffered. Everyone's lives all across the globe have been turned upside down. They suffered pain and suffering. They've sent daddies and brothers and nephews and grandsons off to war, and they never came back. Their lives have been torn 
turned upside down. Fortunes were lost and dreams were lost. But that was over. With the German surrender, with the Japanese surrender, that's over. Those bad times are over. We're not going to have any more of this suffering any longer. No more, no more of our boys are, are being sent off to war. And so what do they do? They celebrate and they sing and they dance because they had reason to. For these Hebrews, the threat from the Egyptian army was over. The Egyptian army is being washed up on the shore. Bodies and bodies being washed up on the shore as the, they've drowned and their threat is gone. Saved by the powerful hand of God and they had reason to sing. Each individual Hebrew had been individually saved by the hand, the right hand of God. And what about us in living under the new covenant? We too have reason to sing, don't we? All of us who are born again, we at once were at enmity with God. We opposed him. We were separated from him, which means we didn't know him and we couldn't communicate with him. We were, as the Bible says, we were condemned already. We're on a one-way road to hell. There's no hope for us. But because of the mercies of God, someone shared the gospel with you, someone shared the gospel with me, our spiritual eyes, our blind spiritual eyes, our, blind, our deaf spiritual ears are opened. God regenerates our heart. We place our faith and trust in Christ, and we're given the Holy Spirit as a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. God puts his stamp on us with the Holy Spirit and says, he's mine. He's no longer in enmity with me. He's no longer in rebellion. He's no longer fighting against me. He's going to walk with me and I'm going to lead him. And now we, the, the church, believers, we're born again and we have no reason to fear. We have hope and we have joy and we have purpose because of God's powerful right hand. We have something to sing about. And church, singing characterizes the church. We're a singing people. In the Bible, there's over 400 references to singing. There's about 50 commands in Scripture for God's people to sing. The book of Psalms is a 150 songs. It's a songbook. God gave us music, and music is powerful, is it not? It allows us to engage truth with, with, with our emotions. It helps remind us that truth, that, that it, it reminds us of the truth that sanctifies us. It's a way to teach others, it's a way we evangelize. It's the way we remind one another of what God has done for us and helps us memorize truth. Think about the songs, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. You know that song? That's scripture. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's as Blake read for us. That's Nehemiah 8.10. It's, it's scripture. So many of the songs we sing are scripture. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. 
the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. These are all songs that we sing regularly. This, they're scripture. It's a way, singing is a way to memorize. I had a friend live right up the road from me. If I, if I said his name was James, West, James Wesley, you wouldn't know who I was talking about. Some of you know Tootie Craig, one of my best friends growing up. And he, had, he really struggled in school. And when he was, uh, was a sophomore in high school, he was able to drive. I was a lot younger than my classmates, so he would pick me up every, every morning for school. And he had a 65 midnight blue Ford Mustang. And we would get in the car and never fails, he turns the radio up. And, and, and Tootie knew every word to every song on the radio, regardless of the genre, rock, country, oldies run DMC he knew all their songs too and he would sing every song on the radio and sometimes I was like man just let me listen to it but now he sang and he sang loudly but Tootie really struggled in school and he would tell me he said Shane you got to help me he said won't you put this put this stuff I'm supposed to be learning put it to music and man I'll make an A every time and I think he probably would have because that music it helped him it helped him remember singing these true songs we sing help, helps us learn truth helps us memorize it and we as a church we have a lot to sing about we have a reason to sing again Ephesians 5 18 and 19 don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit and the result of that experience of being filled with the spirit John MacArthur says this the spirit filled life produces music whether he has a good voice or or cannot carry a tune, the spirit-filled Christian is a singing Christian. Nothing is more indicative of a fulfilled life, a contented soul, and a happy heart than the expression of song. And that's what happens here in verse 1 through 10. They're singing, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, verse 1. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And he tells about the chariots and how they sunk like a rock, but how they were delivered by God's mighty right hand. As you read the Bible, have you ever thought this? Have you ever thought that the Bible was written for people that could sing well? You know, you hear our, our praise team, a worship team, and, and they, they sing really well. I can't sing. I sing really loud. I sing right here, and I try, to sing, I try to sing loud enough where everybody can hear me up here. But I don't sing well. But the Bible's always talking about sing, sing, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing praises to his name. Sing, sing, sing. But what about for us who can't sing very well? But in the scriptures, it doesn't matter whether we have a, a voice what matters is what Bob Coughlin says. It matters what if you have a song. She says, well, it doesn't matter. I, I don't really sing well. And he's telling me, sing, sing, sing. I just really don't sing well. So I'm a little apprehensive about singing because I don't sing well. Most of us don't. People who sing well, that's, they're in the minority. But the question is not do you sing well, but do you have a song to sing? See, as believers who've been born again, who've been given the Holy Spirit, who've been saved from the wrath of the Father. For those of us who have been brought 
near to God through Christ, we have a song, a redemption song. And we ought to sing that song. Christians, we, we sing. Colossians 3.16, again, this text is, is helpful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How do we teach and admonish one another? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing is a response to the word. As we study the word and read the word and memorize the word, singing is a response to the scriptures. Joe Loom, he says, when the word of the Lord is proclaimed and our hearts are touched, the Holy Spirit works within our hearts to respond in singing and praise with thanksgiving to God. And we sing individually. Some of you say, my time in the morning, I love the drive to work. Some of you, we live, you know, 45 minutes to an hour from Memphis. I love that time because that's the time I can just talk to the Lord and we sing and you sing them. You sing them when you're driving down the highway, don't you? Go beside and they sing and sing and, you know, just having a good time. Yeah, and some of you do that. We sing individually, but we also sing corporately, congregationally. The two commandments in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, they're commandments for the church. Not just individual. It's for the church. So that's what we do. We sing corporately. And that's why we sing in our worship service. It's a part of what we do because Christians sing. The Israelites sang here this song of Moses. They sang because they had this experience where they were saved by the Lord. The result is a song. The second reason the Israelites sing is because of God's character and it is his character is revealed. Look at verse 11 through 13. Who is like you, Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who's like you? There's nobody like him, is it? He's like no other. And, and here in verse 12 and verse 13, we see his justice and his mercy. Look at verse 12. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. That's his justice. That's his justice. Egypt, think about Egypt. You remember the story? Egypt was the wealthiest nation in the world at this time. Why? Because Joseph was there. Do you remember? Joseph came. Through a series of events, he became prince of Egypt. He, began, he, became, he became the second in command right under Pharaoh. And because he interpreted the dreams with the Lord's help, what happened? He said there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. What we need to do is those seven years of plenty, we need to store up grain. And that's exactly what they did. When the famine hit, guess who had grain? Joseph and the Egyptians. And everybody all over the world, they had to come. That's how Jacob and his family came to Egypt. He sent his boys to go get something to eat. So they all came there and they end up becoming prosperous. But the Pharaoh forgot or didn't know Joseph, right? The, the new Pharaoh didn't, didn't remember Joseph, didn't know who he was. All he knew is there's a bunch of Israelites here. He enslaved them. What did they do? They built his cities for him for 400 years. There's no thanks, none of, none of that. They're mistreated, but what does God do? God vindicates them because he's just. So, man, that's terrible. 
He just, the whole army was drowned in the sea. Yeah, that's what they deserved. That was a perfect thing to do because God did it. His justice. But then look at verse 13. We see his mercy. You have justice and mercy. Verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. So you have the justice, verse 12. And here, Adriana, you have the mercy perfectly wedded together. We see that only in God. Kids, think about your family, your parents, okay? Most family, not every family, but most families this way. You have mom and dad, you have the justice, you have one's justice represents justice and one represents mercy. You understand what I'm saying? Like in my family, it's very, very um, easy to identify. I am the justice. I'm the one doing this, right? Right? And then Jenny's the mercy. She's the one telling me, maybe it's okay if I don't do that, right? You have that in your family? You have a justice and mercy side? Most of you do. You have one's justice, one mercy. And it, it's true in, in our home. You have justice and mercy. You don't, you don't have this perfect blend. No, I'm, I'm too far the justice side. You need to ease up a little bit. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I've had to apologize many times. But then you have the other side. You have the mercy. And I, well, they're getting away with too much here. But in God, guess what? You have the justice and mercy and they're perfectly wedded together. Yeah. What do we see here? God's character is being revealed. Yeah, he's just. Sinners must be punished. They have to be. But yet you have this mercy side where he's rescuing, saving his children. Turn to, to Psalm 106 real quickly. Flip really quickly. Psalm 106. This, this Exodus event, this Red Sea event is so important in the life of Israel. And you have so many uh, authors inspired by the Holy Spirit mentioning in this event. Look at Psalm 106, starting in verse 6, 6 through 12. The psalmist writes, but both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. How did they rebel? We just read the text. Do you remember? They're at the sea. Their backs are to the wall. They see the Egyptians coming, the army coming. What do they do? They complain and cry out to Moses in a, in a, in a word of complaint. We're going to die. It's your fault. You should have left us in Egypt. We told you we're going to get killed for this. They rebelled by the sea. Verse 8, yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Why do they sing? Because God's character is being revealed. He's just, but also he's merciful. Did the Hebrews, did they deserve to be saved? I mean, think about the Passover lamb. Did they deserve to be for God to pass over their homes? No. Here, did they, did they deserve for God to save them from the hand of the Egyptians? No, but God did it because he's merciful. 
The Hebrews sing because they have been saved. They have something to sing about. They sing because God has revealed his character. He is just and he is merciful, giving them what they don't deserve. And thirdly, the Israelites are singing here in Exodus chapter 15 because God's fame is spreading. Look at verse 14. The peoples have heard, they tremble. What peoples? He's going to name them, but these are the peoples that live in Canaan. Now remember, the Hebrews are rescued from Egypt, but where are they going? They're landless, they're homeless, but not really because God in his promise to Abraham promises them land. And so they're leaving Egypt and they're going to the promised land. And they went, you remember God didn't take them on the shortcut up the coast, the long cut. They have to go the long cut around. But they're going to, they have a destination. It's the promised land, the land of Canaan. But who's there? Well, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Verse 15, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling, seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. To your people, O Lord, pass by. To the people, pass by whom you have purchased. Israelites are singing because God's fame is spreading. Because of what he's done, the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, they're trembling. And that's where they're heading. Turn your Bible to Joshua real quickly. We're about to close. Joshua chapter 2. Just go right. If you're in Exodus, just keep going right a few books. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. This is, we're fast forwarding to the time they actually cross the Jordan, enter the promised land, and they're about to try to take Jericho, the first walled city. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 8. If you've got your Black Pew Bible, it's page 211. Now, there's spies that went into Jericho, and, and the prostitute Rahab had hidden them in her home. And the leaders of the city come to her and said, I know the visitors are here. She said, oh, they've already left. They've, they've left, and they went this way. They, they left through the gates. But she's hiding them. Look at verse 8. Before the men lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts, what? Melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And so she goes on to make a deal. Hey, I'm going to help you. Would you please don't kill my family? And they say, yeah, sure. That's a deal. But what does she say about the mighty God of the Hebrews? He is some kind of God, isn't he? And they were fearful. They had heard, and his fame and his name was spreading all throughout the known world. The omnipotent God, the God of the Hebrews, was making himself known, even as far away as the promised land. They have heard of this story of what God had done, and they're shaking in their boots. Well, God's fame is spreading, isn't it? You know, we've got some partners in Kansas City. You know what's happening there? God's fame is spreading 
and in Rigby, Idaho, among the Mormons, God's fame is spreading. And in Malaysia, we have a family that we love so much, and they're there doing what? They're spreading the gospel among people who've never, ever heard it. This year we gave a lot of money, tens of thousands, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to send missionaries to places where God's name has not been declared. And we gave lots of money to Annie Armstrong Easter offering to fund church planters to go and plant churches in our country hard to reach places and places where there's little gospel witness and God's name is being spread and his fame is going forth. Verse 19 through 21 of Exodus 15, there's a summary here after this song. Let's read that together. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So we see this song being sung and the people celebrating and singing. Why? Because they've been saved by the Lord. They had something to sing about. They had this experience that caused them to express their gratitude in song. They sing because God is revealing his character. He's, he's just and he's merciful. And we see his name and fame spreading throughout the known world because of what he has done. And so as a result, they sing to the Lord. So application, what do we do here? 3,500 years after this song was sang, after these words were penned by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how do we apply this to our lives, those of us living in the new covenant? I think, firstly, we sing. We're commanded to sing to him and about him, so we sing. Like, well, I don't really like to sing all that much. I understand, but we, we sing. There's a... On our website, our church website, if you go to the resources page, it'll say worship. Go to worship and click on worship. And, and when you do that, it'll take you to a Spotify page. And you're like, Spotify, what's that? It don't matter. You don't need to know. You just go there, hit, hit the Spotify icon. It'll take you to, uh, we have a, a, a page, a Spotify page. Our church does, and it has all the songs that we sing on Sunday. So you got songs that you're like, I didn't, I don't know that song. I like it, but I don't really know that song. Go there, and you have a playlist, and you can just listen to the songs that we sing, and, it's, and become more familiar with those. And they're true songs; they're great songs. Our, our team does a great job of picking out music that that is biblical and helpful for the church. So I'll encourage you to sing and listen to that. You know, I was uh, thinking about my grandmother, Notesy's what we called her, Miss Vi. She used to sit right here. And um, she passed away last April. She's 98, real spry, spunky woman. And uh, she was sick, and my mom had, had cared for her, and my aunt had cared for her for the last year of her life. And she had fallen and, and um, 
she wasn't doing well. We knew it wasn't going to be long. And so we spent the last couple of weeks, every night, we would go up there, my family and my mom and dad, and we'd sit with her and we would sing. And, and I'll just share this with you because I'll encourage you to do the same. Um, we would sing hymns and songs with her. And at first, you know, she was feeling better, and so she would sing with us. And, and, and a lot of times we'd just sing her to sleep, just singing songs. And then it got to where she was becoming weaker and weaker, and it, and it would get, get to where we would come to the chorus of a song, and she would, she would, it got to where she couldn't sing, but she would just mouth the words, just mouth the words. She knew all so well. And I really feel like, you know, that, that really helped her helped her persevere in her faith even to the very end but it was such a sweet time for us as a family and for her but just sang those songs and we did it we did it for Miss Lenny Miss Lenny we had her funeral this last week and Miss Lenny was uh, in her 90s and uh, she went to be with the Lord and uh, the last several times we visited with her we just got the hymn book out and we would just sing and you know what she would do the same thing she would sing for a little bit and she would get tired and then she would she would uh, just mouth the words to the chorus of the song she sang. I thought, oh, what a beautiful, sweet, precious time that was, just to sing. Songs that they knew. And she even asked. My mom was there. Her and her niece went. And she says, uh, they, were, they were singing with her. And she says, can we sing Jesus Loves Me? So they sang Jesus Loves Me, a song that she had sang and led kids to sing. But just sweet, sweet time. Music is powerful. Music's powerful. We need to sing. Church, we need to, we need to sing. We need to have a song on our heart because we have a lot to sing about. I think second thing by way of application, we just need to be thankful for our, our worship team. You don't know, many of you don't know, some of you just come on Sunday morning, you're here, but our worship team, they spend a lot of time, they're, they're they're very talented. There's not a song we can't sing. There's not a song we can't play. They're very gifted and talented. But it takes a lot of time putting that together. You don't just get up there and jump up there and sing. They, they're here Wednesday nights. They're here usually till 10 o'clock after everyone else is home and in bed. They get up here on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and they work hard. And you've got sound people who are here putting up the words for them. So we got all of these people that are working. We need to be thankful for them. And we, you know, we say all the time, hey, if there's a song you want to sing, mention it to them. We'll sing it. If it's a true song, we'll sing it. Just let them know. And I'm just so thankful for them. I know you are too, but you need to be, give them a word of encouragement. And there's m much more to say, but we're, gonna, we're running out of time. I think thirdly, for our small group leaders, maybe this week as you're walking back through Exodus 15, you can discuss that question more. Why do we sing? You know, we, we've, we've given three reasons why, from the text, why the Hebrews sang this song. But for us as the church, the New Testament church, why else do we sing? There's, there's more reasons we see in, in Scripture. So give you an encouragement for that. You know, if you're here and you, maybe you're here and you've never, the the Spirit of God has never opened up your eyes and your ears to, to truth. And you've never realized that you're a sinner and condemned to hell. And you've never had your eyes open, ears open to understand that that's what you deserve. And it's true. We all deserve that. Isn't that, isn't that true? 
everything above hell for each and every man, woman, and child is a privilege. Do you understand that? And maybe you've never understood that. But maybe today for the first time you realize, yeah, I'm a sinner and I deserve God's wrath. And that's where, that's where I'm headed. I'm going to breathe my last breath on this earth and I'm going to be separated for, from God for all eternity in hell. And for all eternity, God's going to pour his wrath upon me. And you know what? That's what I deserve. Maybe for the first time you re recognize that today. And that's the bad news. You're a sinner and you deserve God's worst. And that's what you're going to get. Lydia, but the good news is that we have a Savior, Jesus, who took on flesh 2,000 years ago. He became a man. He walked this earth. He lived the life that we couldn't live, the righteous life that we couldn't live. He walked this earth perfectly, and he gave up his life on a cross. He died a terrible physical death, but the worst part about that was the Father poured out his wrath upon Jesus. He poured his wrath upon the Son, and Jesus died, and he suffered. He was buried on the third day. The Bible says he rose from the grave so we could be, just as Blake mentioned earlier, so we could be justified. We could be given his righteousness. You don't have righteousness on your own. You can never attain it. You'll never have it unless you place your faith and trust in Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that. If you've never repented, repentance means that you recognize that you're a sinner and you're turning from that life of sin and living for yourself and you now you want to follow Christ. You want to know the Lord and follow him and, and, and belief means that you're trusting that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. And that's the only way that you're going to be made righteous is through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So I want to encourage you to place your faith and trust in Jesus. If you've got a question about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. You say, well, I don't have a song. I'm not redeemed. I haven't been saved. Well, repent. Cry to the Lord. Tell him to save you. Tell him that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. And ask him to forgive you. Tell him that you trust him. Trust all that Christ did, he did for you. And you want to know him. Cry out to the Lord today. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.